All right. Hello. Good evening. Uh, we are the Jensen's. I'm Tara, and this is my husband, David. We celebrated 21 years of marriage in September. Show the wedding pic. There she is. Okay, good. Uh, we were born and raised in Athens, Georgia. Go dogs! No, nobody? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, okay, whatever. That's fine. Whatever. It's okay. We'll win you over. Yeah. Uh, we've known each other um, since we were 12 years old, but David says, I finally got my heart right with the Lord when I was in my 20s and noticed him. That's nice. So laughing together is our favorite pastime. So to kick off the night, we would like to share a laugh with you now. Please enjoy this picture of us from Halloween 2005. Y'all don't know Tara very well, but I just want to set the stage here. Uh, she is just fully committed and all in with whatever she does, if you can't tell from this picture. Uh, she worked for about six months to grow that mustache. So just that's the level of commitment you're dealing with. No. So. No. It looks great, though. No, no, no. Okay. Nice. That's a good one, dear. Um, so we have an 18-year-old son who is a freshman at UTD. And he's a middle school small group leader. And we have a 17-year-old daughter, Faith, uh, who is a junior at J.J. Pierce High School. And she serves with the little children, K-1 race. Oh, we've got some Pierce people out there. Okay. Pierce. No dogs, but we got Pierce. Okay, okay we'll got take it. it. We'll take it. Um, so we have lived in Georgia all of our lives until this past May when God brought us to Dallas, Texas. Uh, we're grateful to be here and excited to share with you. So I grew up in a religious home with a pretty overbearing father. Um, I felt like I could never really please him. And every time I tried to help or be forced to help around the house, I'd always end up getting yelled at and just feeling like I couldn't do the task correctly. Additionally, I went to school that was um, very legalistic. There was a demerit system in place. If you are familiar with that, I share those battle scars with you. Um, from the sec second grade to seventh grade, there was a field trip every week. And uh, from second to seventh grade, uh, I went on a total of about five field trips because I was in detention the rest of the time. So um, talking and acting out were kind of my spiritual gifts at that time. Um, and so that all of that kind of fueled the thought that no matter how hard I tried, um, I did not have what it takes, that it was not enough. Uh, the message that I received from that was that you are loved and accepted when you get it right, and you are punished when you get it wrong, so you better get it right the first time. As I continued to mature, I became a master at never letting anyone see my struggles. I was convinced that if people got to know me, they would dismiss me and just run away, so I invented a really likable facade that would attract friends. I say, you know, quote friends because no one really knew me. I carried this mindset into marriage and tried to hide all my fa uh, faults from Tara, which did not lead us into oneness and unity, if you couldn't tell. I was hiding a lot of my struggles like porn and anger, some narcissistic tendencies from her because I felt like she'd leave me if she ever saw that side of me. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess them and turn from them, they will receive mercy. And unfortunately, I would not learn that message until much later. When Tara would rub up against my faults and react in a way similar to my dad, I started to resent her, just like I resented my dad. And I began to think that she was my problem, 
And she was the reason that I was so unhappy, even though I had been unhappy for many of the years, even before we were married. The biggest secret that I was keeping from her during the first eight years of our marriage was my struggle with pornography. And there were instances where she had uncovered it, but she really didn't have any idea how frequently I was turning to that and what kind of hold it had on me. And I felt trapped because I wanted to be different, but I also wanted to stay married to Tara, and I did not think that I could do both. I thought that changing and letting her see behind the curtain would be too much for her, and she'd leave me. Additionally, I had spent years hiding from everyone, not just Tara, and I had no real community with which I could process any of this, so I was left to try and figure it out on my own. Proverbs 14, 12 and 16, 25 both say the identical thing, same thing. They both say, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So I also grew up in a Christian home and attended a Christian school from preschool through high school and was at church or with church people every moment of my life. Uh, I was taught to live for God in every aspect of life but I experienced more emphasis on morality and behavior management than really living from a heart that surrendered to Christ. The external seemed most important. Uh, That caused me to become a constant critic of myself and others to assess whether I was measuring up or if they were. I received the message that perception is more important than reality. You must look good even if you're not good. I genuinely desired God and to have a real relationship with him, but I didn't know how to make that happen, so I just created a good Christian girl facade that wasn't really the reality of my heart. I believed the lie that as long as I looked good, I was good. I struggled with perfectionism and couldn't fully accept God's love for me. I had very high expectations of myself and was not gracious to myself or others internally, even though I seemed very gracious externally because that's really all that mattered to me. I carried this mindset into marriage. I had worked so hard uh, to manage my own actions and my life reputation. So when David became my one flesh, uh, I saw him as another reflection of my reputation in this world. As a result, I treated him in very controlling and critical ways. My expectations of him were unrealistic and unfair. I cared more about his actions than his heart, just like I did with myself. If I discovered a weakness in him, I reacted with judgment and control rather than love. David's sin struggle became a great target and distraction for me to avoid addressing my own sin. Matthew 7, 3 through 4 says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but fail to notice the beam in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye while there is still a beam in your own eye? Depending on myself rather than God caused me to struggle with a lot of anger. I would make an effort, but if the effort didn't produce what I had hoped it would, I got angry because I absolutely hated mistakes. When faced with my own failure and weakness, my pursuit of perfectionism led me to blame others in order to take the focus off of my own failures. Unfortunately, I was surrounded by many moral and religious people, but not a biblical community of believers that would challenge me in this. So we had both spent years trying to manage our sin rather than kill it at all costs. We were storing up these horrible attitudes in our heart, and they were just festering and leaking out in sinful ways onto everyone in our lives. 
At this point, we had been married about eight years, and I was really bitter towards Tara and utterly convinced that I had just married the wrong person. I started looking for someone else to make me happy, and I was so messed up in my thinking that I actually thought it was all Tara's fault, and I was just a poor, innocent victim of her anger. Out of the evil that I had stored up in my heart, I had two affairs and built an entire secret life that Tara knew nothing about. And because of my lack of community, I started seeing a counselor. So I had to kind of pay to get good counsel. Um, He ended up being more like a friend who guided me spiritually. And as I was sitting in his office on Good Friday of 2007, I hid all of this from him, um, which, side note, is really stupid to pay somebody to help you and you're lying to them the whole time. So I was—I mean, it just kind of shows the messed up place Free I was advice, in. Free advice, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, so I was sitting in his office on Good Friday of 2007 and the Holy Spirit started wrestling with me and just would not let me go. Um, as I said, I'd hidden all of this from my counselor and the Holy Spirit just was like, dude, you have got to come clean. Um, So the Holy Spirit kept screaming in my ear just this one thought. If you're ever going to be the man that I created you to be, you've got to finally come clean and be honest with people, be honest with everyone. So I let my counselor know what the full truth was, and his mouth kind of, are you serious, Um, hit the floor. And he tried, I mean, and I told him like 10 minutes before the end of the session too. So he's trying to do damage control and like give me off, you know, send me off with some, truth that might help me. So when I left his office to try and begin to tell Tara everything that I had hid, um, he and I were both convinced that my marriage was over because he knew Tara and he knew that she was responding out of anger a lot in that time in her life. Um, But even with all that, even being convinced that I was going to lose everything, at that point, it was more important to me to be reconciled to God than to save my marriage because I knew that being reconciled to God was the only hope that I had to save my marriage. So I had to get the first thing first. Um, So once I uh, disclosed everything to Tara, things blew up for us and we were desperate for help. So we ended up going to Colorado for an eight-day biblical intensive. And that's when I caught a glimpse of what it takes to be a um, godly husband and father. I came home from that trip with a renewed passion for Christ and ready to do whatever it took to be the man that he created me to be. So when I became aware of all the ways that David had betrayed our relationship, my natural response was anger. Yes. And I was absolutely sure that it was righteous anger, right? That, you know, me and God were just on an even playing field, and we were equally angry about this. Um, So I had prayed for months that David would repent and turn back to God and me. But interestingly, when he did, I was even angrier. I was angry at God's forgiveness of him. And how little pain he seemed to endure while I felt like I had suffered greatly. It was easy for people to feel bad for me and see a good woman that was hurt by a bad guy. But that's what I had worked all my life to make sure that they would see. It's not the truth. We like to choose sides and find the bad person in a situation, the person to blame. But there are no innocent victims in marriage. We all contribute something. God mercifully allowed circumstances into my life that tested the truth of my so-called goodness. I was a Pharisee, like the elder brother in the story of the prodigal in Luke 15. Christianity as a religion fit my fleshly self-righteousness very nicely. 
I liked doing right and being seen as a nice person, but that was for my own glory, not God's. Since I had safely surrounded myself with other Pharisees, biblical counsel did not exist in my immediate community. Thankfully, God intervened and counseled me. God was calling me to offer David forgiveness, but I struggled with the seeming injustice of forgiveness. During my struggle to forgive, God asked me two questions that began to change my heart. First, he asked, how much of me do you want to know, Tara? And from Philippians 3, 8, he says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He challenged me not to limit my experience of him by seeking to avoid pain. Loss and learning to forgive would draw me closer to God. The second question he asked was, how much are you willing to endure for the sake of another person's soul? In Hebrews 12, 2, he tells me, Christ endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was to come. That joy was the salvation of our souls. He reminded me that he didn't enjoy the pain of the cross. He despised the shame of it all, but he humbled himself and endured endless losses to ensure I could be restored in relationship with God. He asked me to prioritize David's relationship with Christ over David's relationship with me. He challenged me to humble myself and endure for David's soul and ultimately saved my own soul as well. So in these last 12, almost 13 years of journeying with God in this new way, um, one of the biggest shifts in both of our hearts is the grace that we now extend to one another. God has allowed us to see who we are without him. It's easier to identify with a brother or sister in Christ um, who's struggling with sin when you have seen that view of yourself, even if it's your spouse and their sin uh, might be directed directly at you. Rather than judge and penalize each other for our faults, God enables us to minister to each other and try to help the other be reconciled to God. Tara has shown me in very tangible ways what God thinks and feels about me, and her God's love pours through her into my life on a daily basis. I wish I could sit here and tell you that once I came home from Colorado that I never struggled with porn again and that things were magically cleaned up in my heart, but that is not true. I still wrestled with it for a few more years, but I committed to tell Tara about it when it happened and work through the pain of that instance with her each time. It does not have a hold on me now, but I am still diligent to depend on God and aware that he is the only reason that it's lost its power in my life. And right now, God is showing me more subtle ways that I am not dependent on him. Back in Georgia, I had a comfortable, familiar life filled with routines and surroundings that made life very easy. So easy that I could exist in that environment without being very desperate for him. And that is dangerous. All of that was taken for me when God called us to move to Texas. And as great as Texas is, there are still some challenges. Um, I have been uh, surprised to discover some of the things that God is showing me about my own heart. Um, we are in the tough period of trying to establish a new life in a new area. And although we have made friends and are starting to feel a little more comfortable, God continues to remind me that my goal is not to regain some level of comfort here in this new place. He hasn't promised me that life would be comfortable. He's only promised us that in the midst of the ups and downs of life, 
he would be with us and that will be enough. John 16, says that I have said these things. This is Jesus talking. I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So God is growing me to not depend on this world for comfort, but rather depend on him because only he is dependable. The way God renewed my heart all those years ago revealed to me the truth of my sinful self-righteousness and my deep need for the Savior. As I have been following God rather than myself, my anger has decreased. He helps me resist my unfair expectations of myself and others, which is often what fuels my anger. He guides me in understanding the hidden motives of my heart and helps me combat the lure of my self-righteousness in my flesh that tries to convince me that I have power apart from Christ. I used to be focused on David's actions and how they affected me, uh, that I was not a safe place for him to be a real person and share his struggles. So now I understand that his uh, relationship with God is more important than his relationship with me. We share openly about our daily thoughts and temptations in a way that diffuses their power in us. Neither of us live under the delusion that we've got this. We live in constant dependence on God for every victory in our hearts and minds. I'm following God's plan now, so when the plan doesn't go in a direction I expected, you know, like moving to Texas, I pray and wait for him to give me new understanding. And he is so faithful to give me the faith that I need to continue with him. He's in charge, not me. I experience this like GPS in my car. I'm heading to a destination, but don't know how to get there. Trust allows me to follow the turn-by-turn instructions without knowing all the turns that are coming. Thankfully, God is infinitely more trustworthy than my GPS. Uh, He can actually change the roads to be where he wants them to be. His sovereignty is why I get up in the morning. This world always seems to be spinning out of control, um, but I can rest in knowing God has everything under control, and I'm on my way home. So what we hope you can see... Um, is that God's work in our heart and lives is the only reason we're together and able to sit up here and share our story with you tonight. Um, It's not because we're smarter than others or because we read the right book or listened to the right podcast. All we did was follow Christ, and he led us out of the pit one day at a time. Um, We both agree that our journey has been a little bit harder than it had to be because we only had glimmers of biblical community along the way, and that made the burden we carried much heavier Um, than if we had been sharing that um, with people in our lives. So I just want to encourage you, take advantage of the gift you have here and re-engage to walk with others and share your life with them. God has given us the opportunity to journey with many couples and share the hope we have in Christ. We've seen how God uses community to offer his comfort and strength to his children. Uh, We've enjoyed serving and re-engage back in Georgia, and we're thankful to have the opportunity to continue helping couples find hope in Christ here in Texas. If I could give you one thing to hang on to this evening, just one ounce of hope, it would be that no matter how bad your situation is, that God is bigger. My favorite verse is John 1, 5, which says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That verse has brought me so much comfort knowing that the light of God's love and grace overcomes even the darkest of sin. It gives me hope for my heart when I'm reminded of the darkness in my own soul apart from Christ. 
and gives me hope for any other marriage that may be struggling. So I just want to encourage you to bring the light of Christ into whatever darkness you may be experiencing. So when we were in the thick of our struggles, no one could have convinced us of what God was going to do in our lives, let alone the ripple effect of grace he would produce in the lives of others through his story in us. Uh, Our lives are completely changed. Our children's lives are completely changed. Many of our friends' lives are completely changed, and countless others, some that we don't even know. God's grace has an endless reach. We encourage you to relate to each other with Christ's redeeming work in mind rather than your own personal desires. Most of us will jump at the chance to help someone in need, but we struggle to see our spouse as a person in need and our marriage as a mission field. How would your daily interaction change if you were focused on supporting your spouse's connection with God more than on the ways your spouse could make you happy? Always remember that God never puts his children in impossible situations. Difficult? Absolutely. But impossible? No. Luke 1.37 says, For nothing will be impossible with God. If you are feeling like you're in an impossible situation, remember that God is bigger and he has a good plan for your life. Thanks for letting us share.